Hello, and welcome back to Our Dramatic Assets. I'm Rebecca Ann Bloom. I'm Ryan McGregor. And today is a special day. Uh, Typically, our podcast episodes have a topic in mind. And for this one, we actually asked our viewers to ask us questions about race issues, combating institutionalized racism, and Black Lives Matter. And so we're going to be answering those questions today. I'm pretty excited. This is so topical right now because of everything that's going on in the world. So I guess we'll just get to it. Yeah, Um, we just thought this would be so important for our listeners. And I'm interested to see the feedback from the Instagram poll that we did. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know, we do have an Instagram. It's at ODA podcast, both Instagram and our Facebook. That is what it is. And so we did a face uh, Instagram poll and I did get a couple of questions actually just from people I know off of Facebook. So we'll start with the first one and kind of go through if any of these stir up other questions. Feel free to message us because we can always do another one of these. Okay, so the first question is, what can other races and minorities do for the Black Lives Matter movement? And what do you feel their roles could be? In my opinion, I mean, everyone that's in a minority or is BIPOC, for anyone that doesn't know what that acronym means, it's Black, Indigenous, or People of Color. Yeah. So anyone that's in that realm should really just support the other minority groups there's also other groups like there's the lgbtq plus that has been doing a lot of support for black lives matter i think at this state in the world we shouldn't be so divisive like yeah we don't need to be in our own separate groups because at the end of the day we're all facing some form of discrimination and there's a lot to say about numbers the more people that are on I don't know if I should say our side, but are supporting this movement, the better it can turn out because that's just more voices. That's more people fighting the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I think you look at what's going on in the world right now and it's kind of unprecedented. We have this movement that has captured the world's eye and now we want to use that momentum to create change and we're also in the midst of a pandemic Mm -hmm. and so when you have all these major things in society happening at once it's kind of exciting but kind of like you are going into the unknown here. I love what you said about different acronyms. I've been reading some articles about some people that don't even identify with those acronyms. Well, I was reading about this Ottawa man who prefers just to be called black and not person of color, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting because a lot of people might assume that that's the proper way, but I think it's not the only way. What this article was saying, and in this man's opinion, was that sounds too close to other terms that historically have been negative yeah which i thought was really interesting so i think it's important for people just to kind of learn that there's a lot of information out there and i've been reading a lot of personal information about other people's experiences too it really does open your eyes yeah information is a key word there is so much 
that you can find even through a basic Google search that Mm-hmm. I really hope, if anything, this movement has encouraged people to look deeper than just the surface. I mean, we're recording this June 19th, and yes. so recently, as of, I guess, yesterday, Quaker Oats has uh, decided to rebrand Aunt Jemima. And I've spent the better half of this week trying my best to comment and correct a lot of misinformation about who the lady on the package of Aunt Jemima is. I don't know if I will be 100% factual because I'm I'm not from the early 19th century. Like I wasn't there when yeah, she was. fair. But I know that she was not a happy entrepreneur. She wasn't a strong black businesswoman because when you look at when she was alive, like black people did not have those opportunities. Yes, she was remarkable because she was an actor, essentially, like a spokesperson that was unprecedented for that culture at the time. But she was also, she was born in slavery and she was used to represent an archetype that was truly based in blackface entertainment. So... (laughs) It's not yeah. it's not just a bottle of syrup. It's not just a woman on a package. Like I know a lot of people relate it to their childhood. I do as well. I'm not saying we can't have pancakes and syrup. I'm saying that we need to rethink why she was on the package and then rethink how we can move forward out of that situation. Yeah. So another question that we had was how would you address the fear of speaking up? That's a great question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, actually, because I am a person of color and you are not. Do you have any fear about speaking up for the movement? Coming from the university that we went to, learning about things like white privilege, movements like Black Lives Matter, because we were in social sciences and these are like big societal things. These concepts weren't totally foreign to me before. And so I see people on social media now getting very passionate about it. And I think that's good. I think people need to be aware of this and and why were they not aware of this before? I just found that there's a lot of information out there. And I just hope that the right people are uplifted. And I think a lot of people want to convince other people that what they're saying is correct. And a lot of people are either too scared to say their opinion or they, they're they not open to their opinion being changed at all. So it's just kind of like, well, if you don't agree with me, delete me and block me. And I mean, some people you're going to have to do that with, let's be honest. But if you're trying to change someone's opinion and you're going to shut down the dialogue, then that could be problematic as well. So it's a fine line between speaking out and doing it responsibly. That actually benefits the movement. I agree. And then my interactions over the last few weeks, I've noticed that a lot of people are very, how do I phrase this, passive aggressive with their language, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think on both sides of the argument, whether you're trying to understand what's happening and want information or you're trying to educate people, I really do think we have to be blunt. Yeah. Society right now has, for a few decades, has been really working on not offending people. 
yes, that is important. Don't be rude. (laughs) But also, if you're going to say that you don't believe that there is systemic racism, just say, I don't believe there is systemic racism. Don't poke around and try to anger the lion. Don't try to Mm -hmm. weasel your way. Be like, oh, I don't really understand. And that type of language, it's really demeaning to the movement. It's really demeaning to people that are trying to educate. And then for anyone that is trying to explain what we're about, just be strong and know that you have people supporting you because what you're saying is correct and what you're even if you make mistakes even if you use phrasing that isn't quite correct you're still trying and we shouldn't be shaming people for trying right because that's important yeah because we're trying to build people up or trying to take down systemic racism in our institutions in our families in our environments it's all about building up and moving forward it's not about breaking people down i've seen a lot of that on on facebook on twitter even face-to-face conversations and that's where we're not making progress and that's where we're getting tired yeah i've even seen it people on the same side of the argument are not even agreeing on how to move forward with a constructive discussion Mm-hmm. That's kind of frustrating because as liberal minded people, we have that in common, as you say, now is the perfect time to say what the movement is about and stamp out any misconceptions of it because it deserves to be forefront. Absolutely. Another question we had was, how can allies help keep the momentum going and how can we aid without distracting? And that I think is a really important question because allies are so important. I can't emphasize this enough. Yes, we have our Black brothers and sisters and our people of color. We're here fighting the fight, but without allies backing us up and supporting us, like, I'm not saying we don't stand a chance, but our, yeah, we need all the support we can get. You're an ally. Your partner's an ally. My partner's an ally. Like, just having that support system around people that are in the movement, it's so crucial. And so what I can say to this question is, it all comes down to the simple actions, I think. For example, my partner was extremely encouraging about going, safely going to a peaceful protest. He was one of the people that shouted the loudest. He held his sign proudly. He held my hand proudly. And so those small actions, that's what helped keep me going because I knew I had him. I had my parents. I had my friends telling me that this is where we should be going. If we have so like more of those people, the group just grows. Yeah. Other actions I guess you can do. There are tons of documentaries on Netflix right now or Amazon Prime. A lot of platforms are making their documentaries free as well so that you can watch them without having to pay fees. That's really important. If you're not feeling like reading, because right now sometimes reading can be really tiring on the brain, I encourage you to start there. Keep your ears and eyes on social media, on the news. Yeah. Non-biased news sources, might I add. (laughs) Yeah. Because those are where people are getting their information from. And then I guess if you are going to listen to some biased news stations, listen to the wording that they use and try to understand why that might not sit right. I truly believe that everyone has a gut feeling. If something that you hear doesn't make sense, listen to that thought. I agree. I was watching 
a news anchor talking about how the problem isn't black and white. It's about people that don't want to support society and so they choose to destroy society. I was like, no, no, that's not right. Um, (laughs) When you have that feeling of, hmm, follow it, follow that trail and see where it leads you. And also, if you're consuming news that you always consume that just subscribes to your own beliefs, that just reinforces them, you're not going to necessarily learn anything new. You're just going to have what you already think affirmed in some way. How are you going to grow? That's a really good point. Yes. Another thing I'd like to add for anyone that has been almost too engrossed in news and social media as of late, and you may be feeling bogged down by some of the things that you're seeing, I suggest to try to find the comedy in it. I'm not saying that racism is funny. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I've been reading a lot of tweets and they've reached the point where they're so ridiculous that I have to laugh. And if you feel like that's your genuine reaction, I encourage that because it helps to alleviate the mental stress on yourself. And that's just so important. Don't make yourself sick in this environment because you not being healthy also isn't helping the movement either. We want everyone to be well and and supporting equal rights and equal treatment. I hope that people are, you know, staying hydrated and taking breaks from being social justice warriors as important. Like breaks are just as important as you fighting the fight. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but I hope. Yeah, I think it did. Morsels of information in there. Another question is how can we as actors and people in the entertainment industry best combat institutionalized racism within the theater, film, community and industry? That's a big question. I'm thinking along the lines of don't assume, don't default to white person. You know, there's a whole other world of people that need to be represented in the media that are still not equal. Absolutely. And in pay as well. Uh, And in opportunities. Yeah. I dream of the day when having an all black cast isn't something that we celebrate because it's rare. Mm-hmm. For example, Blackish, the TV series, I know got a lot of hype because it was primarily black actors. One, great, finally, but also, two, let's not stop there. Let's not be like, wow, this is great. Finally, it's happening. Let's continue to do this in the industry. Same with Black Panther. I have to say it's one of my favorite movies because I love Marvel movies. I love the actors. In so it. good. Yeah. So good. But also people were like, oh, it wasn't that great. Like, uh, meh. it was great because it was primarily black actors. Yeah. And we need to support that. I have to say that I hope casting directors, writers, people that are choosing plays and films once the industry does reopen, I really hope that they're listening and searching for avenues to bring Black people and people of color in. Because I do feel like a lot of us are whitewashed like mentally. And one of my good actor friends said, like, who said Prince Charming had to be white? Right. No, no one, actually. It's just assumed. I was reading an article about the understudy for Anna and Frozen on Broadway. 
she was black. She was a black singer and actress. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's yeah. amazing. Let's also talk about the fact that she's an understudy. She's not, like, she's still breaking barriers, but she's also not the main casting choice. No. Why Why are we not the main casting choice? Right. That's not enough just to be an understudy. Like, Absolutely. That's not- and then if you're writing, if you're writing, think about who is in your circle of friends, colleagues, etc., and see how widely diverse that is. And then I would say compare that to what you're writing. Have you implemented what you see in real life into what you're writing? Same with what you are reviewing to have on film or on stage. There are tons of POC and bio POC writers. Let's bring their scripts into our repertoire. Yeah, because if we're only seeing one sort of dimensional experience reflected in the writing and in the casting, then that is what we're watching. And that's what we put out into society. And that's how these structures of oppression continue to be reinforced because that's the norm. I think that's to what people are upset about on social media was that they didn't know about this or they didn't learn in school. And so they're kind of shocked to see all this now and think, oh, wait, like I'm an ally, but I haven't really thought about this in a while. I don't really think about this day to day. And maybe there really is more that I could do. And the journey to being an important ally, which you mentioned earlier, and how important that is. I think we've reached the point where we can no longer say, I didn't know this. Yeah. I understand that education needs to be restructured. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I also think that it goes down to how we teach our children. Yeah. Like my, I was homeschooled. My mom, a lovely, brilliant Caucasian woman, still taught (laughs) me about the black human rights movement. She taught me about Martin Luther King, about Malcolm X, about Uncle Tom's Cabin, about how everyone fought hard to become free, how many people were allies and helped in the Underground Railroad. Like, some of our random family trips were to these places, the Underground Railroad places in Canada and the U.S. She didn't have to. I mean, yes, she did, because that's what we should be doing, but also made that choice and I think we all need to be making that choice we need to be having conversations we can't just expect them to happen once we start expecting these things that's when it starts slipping through the cracks absolutely I agree and also no excuses for why you didn't know it or why you can't learn something new absolutely because that's just it's insulting on your intelligence and it's insulting other people and their generations of oppression. So just don't, don't do it. No. Another question, how can we use the momentum from what is happening in the U.S. in Canada? That's a good question as well. Because our protests and our police systems are not as intense as the Americans. I'm not saying that we don't have systemic racism here because we do. A lot of people have become confused about the comparisons to south of the border. 
Mm-hmm. And just what that means for us here and how we can kind of dissect that. I don't think we should put blinders on ourselves. I think if anything, we should see what's happening in the U.S. and then use it to research what's happening in Canada because our systemic racism is different, but it's still potent. It's still there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of ours had to do with indigenous people and it still continues today. We can talk about what's happening on reserves. We can talk about how people don't have clean water or access to appropriate health care. We can talk about how a lot of people say, oh, well, the Aboriginal peoples, they get everything for free. Mm -hmm. They don't have to pay tax. You know, that's an overgeneralization and that's rude. Like, don't say that because it's not true. The previous, you know, leadership in this country have been condemned. Mm-hmm. for their treatment mm-hmm. of indigenous people and it still continues and that kind of brought some attention was brought to that when there was the pipeline protests which the attention was there and then it trickled away and i yeah. feel like that is the fault of our society not necessarily of the movement but I think humans instinctively assume that once the media stops covering it, the issue is solved. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that yeah. is so far from the truth. It almost comes back around and becomes the truth. <laughs> yeah. Because we had, I don't think it was yesterday, I think it was the day before, but we had an issue in the House of Commons and the NDP leader was thrown out of the house essentially because he called um, an opposing member racist. And I think we just need to reflect on the fact that they asked him to apologize and then proceeded to tell him to leave. But then we can look back at other people have said in the House of Commons and they weren't asked to leave. Like I recall, I can't remember who said it, but he did call a female member of parliament a dog. Yeah, and there was there was that particular moment, but there's even been some other moments of like I guess foul language, yeah. like in a, what whatever it was termed. You know, Parliament has some very archaic, rather procedures, and this rule of language and like decorum is, I guess, one of them that they can enforce. But they didn't have to kick him out, and the fact that he was asked to apologize. I don't think he owes them an apology at all. And I think actually he's come out and said that and stated his position, which is good. Mm-hmm. And he's going to really capture people's attention around this too, because it's quite clear what happened there. There are some biases that really that really spoke out in that situation. I know another member of parliament was called, are we going to need to make this thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the word, but then that means we have to make this explicit. I mean, we could, but... She was called the derogatory S word. Yes. As well as, uh, if I spell it, is it still explicit? <laughs> the derogatory <laughs> B word. Yes, like, we all know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But no one called that MP out for calling her that those words. So... Why is it that we can mock and bring down women, but we can't bring down racism? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
essentially, to answer the question, now that we've kind of dug deep into the House of Commons, yeah, just take This time, always happens. <laughs> take time right now, if you're a Canadian, to research how many levels of oppression there still are in our country because they exist. We're not immune to them and we still can continue to perpetuate them. And that's not, it's not fair for the people that have to endure it. And it's also not good for us as a nation. Let's collectively stand against racism because we should. We're all humans. No one said that some humans should be above other humans. Like, that's not correct. Yeah. And that's literally where this goes back to. Yeah. And don't be complacent. I think there's also a perception that it's 2020 and we have come so far, but we also need to acknowledge some steps back, I would argue. Mm -hmm. And we need to move forward with that because we know that we can do better. If we're honest with ourselves. Honest. That is a key word as well. I think we'll just answer one more question. Yes. Done. And this one's not necessarily a question, more a question for me to provide a little antidote about my life. <laughs> um, so the question is, I'm just curious about the life of a person of color in a small town in Ontario. So where do I, where do I begin I know I touched on this at the beginning of our podcast series. I think it was the first episode where I never saw myself as a color. I have noticed my color more in the recent months because of what's going on. And I'm very proud of it. But I do think that I had I had some issues as someone that was colored in my small town just because I didn't see other people like me. And I realized that I stood out, I guess I should say. We went to a small town church and for a period of time, the only other person of color was the priest who was very cool. Father Theo, if you're listening, shout out, shout out. (laughs) He went on a lot of roller coasters with us and had a great time. And my dad taught him how to play the guitar. So he was just he was a great person to be around because he was genuine and truthful. And then also a person of color so I could relate to him. But even going to the protest a couple weeks ago, I saw more people of color than I had ever seen in this town. And I was like, where are y'all from? Did you did you just grow out of the grass? I didn't realize all of us were here. <laughs> and I think that's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Because I know... Quite a few of the speakers at the protest talked about how they grew up in high school as one of the very few black people or people of color. And that's that's hard. Like high school is hard enough when then you have to add in feeling like an outsider. And I think and I hope that people who aren't people of color are understanding That even just simply existing as someone with a darker skin tone puts a target on your back. The level of intensity of that target is different. For me, I had never been followed around in a store because someone thought I was going to steal something. But on the flip side, I always made sure that I dressed like a Caucasian person. I made sure that my hair was frizz-free, flat, 
not different. I would dream about having straight hair as opposed to curly hair or blonde hair like my Barbies. And even now, like going to job interviews and auditions, I'm still like, ooh, is my hair too much? Will it deter me from getting this job or this role? How is me as a person going to ruin my chances of success? Which is such a weird mindset to have, I think. Yeah. Because you as a person shouldn't be already set up to potentially fail. No. And wow, I just want to say thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of people will relate to that, hearing that. And I think sort of what you describe is the privilege. That is exactly the privilege that white people have. And they don't realize it, that they don't live with these same types of anxieties and fears and have to make the same decisions to fit in that you just described. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to our lovely listeners for joining us in this more somber, but hopefully educational and very important podcast episode. Again, if you do have any questions, we are so willing to answer them to the best of our abilities. Again, it's ODA podcast um, on our Facebook, our Instagram, as well, you can reach us off of our website, www.ourdramaticassets.com. I think that's everything. Yeah, that basically sums up that, you know, here at ODA, sometimes we have to have a difficult conversation, but we strive for inclusivity and we hope that you enjoyed this talk. As always, stay dramatic. Stay dramatic, but don't be racist.